So we learned more about Picard's background this week. Oh, yeah, boy, we did. And it was not very interesting. No, no, it wasn't. When it was when we saw his weird mother in the uh, that one episode, that was kind of cool. But you know, where no where no one has gone before is that the one? Yeah, that's the one. Sure, that one was good. Which was like the one good episode of the show so far. Yeah, this was not the second good episode of the show so far. Okay. Uh, yeah. The problem with the battle is that well, two problems. Number one. The Ferengi just don't work. Well, I'll, 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 I have some slight nuances to that, but I'm with you. That's that's a fine and point and for that. we we can talk about why they don't work, and I'm sure we will. The other reason it doesn't work is because we don't know enough about Picard to make us care about his like internal struggles, the external struggles that he's having with uh, the the forged log entries. And we just don't know enough about him as a man to really know whether or not he would have done this. And so it really comes, I think, too early in the show's run. See, I have to say, uh, 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 see, I, I, I have to feel like the fact that Picard seems to completely forget about this is says something really bad for him. I mean, we're thinking about the yeah. ones in we we've seen Kirk in a few uh, situations like this. Obsession being. Uh, 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 one of them, and while you know we haven't heard about that, Kirk hadn't talked about that particular battle before that time. Um, within the episode, they justified it as you know this is something that Kirk's dealt with his entire time. It's something he thinks about time to time, and you know as as we've said, his failure in that regard seems to have spurred him on to be the super captain. You know that that it justifies his character notes, explains his character, and. You know, like that all made sense. Here, he explicitly forgets about this for a little while. Now, it would be one thing if this was a just a random battle, a random episode, you know, in that, you know, Star Trek, the next generation prequel series that never got made when he was a helmsman and, you know, his as a young man. Like, that would be one thing, but this is the one where he abandoned his ship. I would think that you would remember, like, that would be one of your hot. I, I mean highlights in a very neutral term, but highlights of your career. Especially if this was apparently the thing. There was a maneuver named after Picard from this incident. This is uh, 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 in almost considered the... This is Picard's first big moment. This is the moment that put him on the map. This is the moment that we can assume ultimately led to him being on the Enterprise. You know, well, a, few, a few days like this and you're going to get a captaincy, you know? Well, he was captain of the Stargazer, so he was already a I captain. But in the and the episode doesn't necessarily make that super clear. But he was the captain. See, I, and see, I thought in the pilot they this was Picard's first captaincy. No, Enterprise did weren't they? I don't think they said that. No. Okay, it was. Just, I think they said that this he was becoming the captain. It was, it was a, a flagship, new, and okay, this was a new an, ship, and this was like a big deal. Maybe he used the fact I'm the new captain of the Enterprise or something like that. And okay, yeah, and that's fair. But I think you know that's interesting because you can take that one of two ways, right? You can either say that. Picard is extremely forgetful and doesn't really care about um, losing people under his command, doesn't take it personally, or... Which doesn't seem the case. Which, which doesn't seem the case, but, but and, and you know, we yeah. can get into that later, or it means that Picard has had so many singular things happen to him that this particular, no one particular one stands out. And, and either too. in either case, 
we just don't have enough information about Picard as a man because we yeah. are this is the tenth episode of, of or the ninth episode of the series. We just don't have enough information about him as a character or as a man to really make that distinction. And of course, the second one is the more charitable one, the more charitable interpretation. But it could easily have been he's a dick, right? Again, I and, mean, yeah. and let's not, and you know, and 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 let's be honest, he is a little bit of a dick in these early episodes. Yeah. So he, it's a problematic characterization for him. Like if this episode had come much later in the run of the series and perhaps it would not have been the Ferengi because my God, um, uh, it would have been a stronger episode. I think, I think they're trying something and they just fail. See what this reminds me. I'm thinking in some ways of undiscovered country, which had a similar enough plot in that it was an alien race, which was, trying to falsify evidence to make it look like the captain was warlike, was antagonistic towards them, and, you know, turned out not to be the case, turned out to be this elaborate plot, and compared to Undiscovered Country, this is pathetic. This is a pathetic episode. You had, um... Uh, I... Th- part of it is Undiscovered Country. You have Christopher Plummer shouting out Shakespearean lines at the end and hamming it the hell up but being really memorable and being really cool to watch. Uh, what's his name on it? I, I want Damon s- Bach. Damon Bach is a horrible villain. The And that's... When I say the Ferengi aren't effective villains, I, I think it's a little more... Bach is not an effective villain because I actually find the character of the first mate to be a very interesting character. Um, in his scenes with Riker, I, I like a lot. And I like what he ends up doing at the end because that gives a... The, so the Ferengi are right... <clears throat> at this point, I think the Ferengi, they're still trying to make the Ferengi happen, but they're not really doing it very well. They're a little less feral this time. They're a little more intelligent you they're know, still there st- but they're still a little animalistic and yes. they're still directing them to sort of like lean over and hunch for some reason yeah. and, and and you know they got rid of the whip things which was a good call um you know it, it's it's weird because the ferengi really uh, you know it's the second appearance of the ferengi so they're still trying to figure them out and yeah the, like their, their their first appearance they were very much a a direct antagonist to the plot in this one. They're less. So it's more about the individual Ferengi here, Damon Bach and the first, you know, the first officer and what, what their differences are and, and, and how they are individual men, which I think is a much more charitable interpretation or, 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 or portrayal of the Ferengi. Now, well, I, what I think is interesting is so that you have Bach is going on this evil plan to torture Picard to have him eventually, you know, destroy his ship. And, you know, in and of itself, that's actually a really interesting and cruel plan. Like I liked his basics of the plan, the way he executed, it was stupid. The way his scenes are all just him cackling like the wicked witch of the West over his crystal ball are stupid, but his general plan was interesting enough. I like the fact that what ultimately foils him is the first mate going over his head and realizing that he's doing this for personal revenge. In other words, Bach is acting like an evil monster. You know, like we've seen the Ferengi do just screwing over people just to do it. And the first mate is saying, no, he's not acting like a good Ferengi. He's actually being a bad officer by doing that. To be a good Ferengi, one must be 
you know, we've talked about what the gimmicks of the different races are. The Ferengi, I think, going them towards profit and a good deal and how can they get the best for them is a little more interesting than just we're cackly evil. You're making faces. Actually. Um. Yeah. I. I. I don't like the Ferengi. I don't. I'm they, not saying a good. But they this never. Is... Star Trek never really gets a good handle on the Ferengi. Yeah. Deep Space Nine comes the closest, and and that has a Ferengi main character. And yeah. yet, Deep Space Nine Ferengi episodes are usually awful. Okay. What you know, and I, I don't want to get into the Ferengi because you will you will you know sort of see how they unfold and and, and what their role becomes in the universe and the franchise. Yeah. You know, my issue here in this episode is well. There's a couple. N- n- number one, the the I, I kind of disagree with you a little bit that the pl- that Damon Box plan is is a is a good plan. I didn't say it was an interesting. It was an inter- good it's, plan. It's, it was an interesting it, plan. It's not interesting though. It's 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 a bunch of you know you you have him using a magical no, that's the problem device. Like, well, let me, like, you know, you okay. have him, you have him using some sort of magical, like, duo device that has to be near Picard, and then how did he get the headaches in the first place? Because the device was on the Stargazer, yet Picard was still getting headaches, even in the beginning of the episode when Damon yeah. Bach and the Ferengi weren't there. That doesn't really make any sense. I don't understand how this thing works. It looks ridiculous. And that's, it's it's yeah. totally just a ridiculous sort of, like, science fiction doesn't need to, you know, make any sense sort of plot, which I hate. Mm. Um, and it's something that Star Trek tends to do sometimes, but here it's a little more obvious it's because... It's quite literally a plot device. It's, yeah, order, yeah, yeah, exactly. And no, and I do will agree that the and, implementation of it and... And it's just, it's not... What, what, it, what it avails, uh, you know, uh, uh, Picard to do, you know, Patrick Stewart to do is just to act like a man who's in pain. And that is just not interesting to watch, yeah. right? Um, it also affords... It, it, you know, one of the problems the show has early on is this sort of... Uh, you know, full of themselves smarminess. And you can, I think you can see that in, in, in the next episode as well, but uh, hiding Q. But I think, you know, one of the issues here is that this gives, uh, you know, Dr. Crusher a great opportunity to talk about how like, Oh, you have a headache. I (laughs) I don't understand. We don't have headaches anymore. That's back from when people suffered from things like the common cold. Aren't we so great? And it's just like, Oh my God, this is so painful. Um, and I like she literally doesn't. And, then, know, and then, so headache is ultimately brain too. Like they haven't. I'm sorry, people are going to get headaches. Like, I was gonna say people are going to have very mild dehydration. Like Picard will have days where he's not sat down, rested, had a good meal, and enough height, enough who, water. He will who, get a headache. Whoever whoever wrote this episode seems to think that headache equals brain tumor or something. Yeah. And like you only have a headache. And they're just like, well, the it. brain was charted. I'm like, again. Mild dehydration, which everybody gets, headache, you know, headache, doesn't have that. A headache is a symptom of many things, yeah. right? And, like, maybe they're making the, the the point that, like, everyone is perfectly hydrated all the time and everyone has a perfect amount of rest all the time and, like, whatever. I don't know. But yeah, and again, everyone is, like, big... everyone is, like, the perfect of health all the time and, and nobody has any issues anymore. Uh, whatever. Which, within the episode, there, you know, at the very beginning, Picard is very explicitly said to be stressing a bit about this you know stress causes headaches i mean yeah, you know we've all of seen these so many times again kirk we've seen a billion times you know not eating because he's working you know another character saying you need to be eating we can see picard doing that same thing i don't think they've explicitly shown him you know we staying up for 20 hours to work on things but we know he probably is just because of his job yeah he's getting headaches yeah 
and then you know so what so what the episode becomes is probably my second least favorite you know plot in, in, in the entire you know sort of like television landscape my, my first is like people holding back information for no reason yeah. other than they need to or else the plot won't go anywhere my second favorite is like people that obviously notice that the main character is acting crazy and don't do anything about it like Picard is obviously having issues separating the past and, and yeah. the present. No one really does anything about it until the very end. Then there's this whole weird subplot where, like, um, the Stargazer logs say that he, like, fired on the ship. And it's like, obviously it's forged. That's not even a question because this is the ninth episode of our show. It's not going, he, he, you know, it's not going to be revealed that Picard was some sort of, like, warmongering war criminal it's just not gonna happen and so it it almost seems like padding to just make this episode longer than it is because they had five minutes to fill it again more interesting it would would it be if i i I mean one of the reasons that the voyage home plot was so interesting was because they set up a very plausible situation for kirk to be at fault you know in by that point in the film, Kirk is famously hates the Klingon. Kirk in the fam- Voyage Home? No, not Voyage Home. Um, oh, Undiscovered Country. Undiscovered Country, yeah. yeah. Kirk very specifically has reasons to dislike the Klingon. He has been on his... He is, he is very openly on record as having a lot of run-ins with Klingons. And for them to say that, you know, well, they killed... You know, he killed the Klingon and, you know, is believable within a certain thing. Here, they don't even, you know... It's not even taken seriously. It's obviously a cackly Ferengi plot. And again, we don't – it would have – it may have been even more interesting I mean, if I think the situation I, had been more ambiguous and – I think so, yeah. I think so. And I think that's 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 one of the other problems with the episode yeah. is that it's just not ambiguous enough. There's, not that. There's, there's – you know, and the problem is you can't get away with that sort of ambiguous episode this early in a show's run unless you're very comfortable with what the characters are and where the show is going. And the show – you know, behind the scenes had a ton of problems in the first season. And I just think that this is, you know, this was one of the episodes that really suffered because of that. It has, I mean, there, again, there are moments with potential. I do like the ultimate. I like that. The plan is ultimately to, to fool Picard into thinking that his own ship is this Ferengi ship that he destroyed and he's reliving the past. And that, you know, it's on a, on a, Ironic Greek punishment, poetic justice, kind of just maximum cruelty, revenge. That is a very good thing. This, w- if the Ferengi's yeah. plan did work, this would be but, it but would at, totally crush Picard. But at the same time, the way they do it is get a juju device that you know turns his head into pudding, and, you know, like and that, that's stupid. And also, are you really going to have a ship that is obviously like eighty years old? Uh, and has been derelict in space for for like I don't know how long, like five, ten years. It, it's, years it's, I think they it, say. it's going to. You were paying more attention to the episode say, yeah, than they, I was. Yeah. Well, they uh, specifically said nine years a couple times, and since it was an odd number, it stuck out. But yeah. Anyway, um, and and you're going to have this ship being manned by one person able to destroy the flagship of the of, of Starfleet. That doesn't make any sense you either. Would all, yeah, you like, would also think in the this past... this this may like, and that's you know, and this is the other thing is like it makes the Ferengi seem stupid. Like th- this is supposed to be the threat. This is supposed to be the main antagonist of the show. They were still really trying to make the Ferengi happen at this point. And what you have is you have Damon Bach basically rubbing his hands together yeah. like a, like a you know um, a, 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 a silent movie. Uh, serial villain, Decidedly whiplash. Yeah, and 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 acting like an idiot. I mean, I I you know, and the thing is, like, you could you could make a case for Damon Bach just being like blinded by rage yeah. because his son was killed by Picard and whatever, and that's fine, and I get that. But 
you know, the actor they cast was not good enough to pull it off no. or whoever wrote the episode was not good enough to write lines that made sense for Damon Bach. And it just, it, it just doesn't work. Again, I think if the ending was them sit, you know, a kind of pulling back from the, you know, from the original Ferengi characterization and retooling them as just, you know, profit motive, you know, completely amoral in the neutral sense, uh, you know, pirates, really. If that's what they are, that's, again, a little more interesting than, you know, oh, we're just going to do, we're going to trick the Federation because we're evil. Like, the ending seemed almost like it was pulling back and saying, no, this is what a Ferengi actually is. An evil Ferengi is not really a Ferengi just as a, you know, Klingon who's not a warrior is not really a Klingon. And I think a... that that's, I think that that's a little simplistic and I think it's a little of problematic course. because, you know, you know, of course I am going from old Star Trek characterization, yeah. which has Romulans are duty, Vulcans are logic and, you know, that Klingons are fighty. And, and that definitely know. is something that, you know, I don't think that the next generation ever really gets away from either. Yeah. Uh, and it Most is sci-fi does it because it's a good shorthand. And first again, all, deep space yeah. nine does the best job. Because Deep Space Nine is just the best Star Trek show, hands down. And I, you know, let's just skip over the rest of the next generation and just move on right to Deep Space Nine. Thank because, God. okay, we're done. So next week we're going to talk about. Uh, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to talk about Emissary, the first episode of Deep Space Nine. No, we're not going to do that. Um, yeah, I just, you know, I d- one thing I do want to say is, you know, because I feel like the more we talk about this episode, the less I like it. Yeah. It and, was entertaining, and it, but it was entertaining enough when I was watching it, but it's really falling apart talking about it. You know, one of the things that I, I've been picking up on, and, and, and maybe some of the audience out there has been picking up on this too, in, in these episodes that we've been covering Next Gen so far, is how often you compare it to the original series. Well, yeah. This and, is the, the original series. We've talked about how this is still kind of in that vein, and the yeah. original series is done these same plots, but better. And it, it makes sense because yeah. you really have nothing to compare it to other than the original series. Because in Deep Space Nine, I'll have two series to compare it to. And then I'll be comparing Enterprise to like everything. And the, the point I want to make here really is put yourself in the shoes of Trekkies in 1987 mm-hmm. who were sitting down to watch this. And just imagine how scared they were. Oh, because... man. Yeah. I mean, we were thinking about what the animated series would have been. This is almost... Uh, this is a little closer to what I thought maybe the animated series might have been, even. Yeah. You know? Like, it's just not very... It's just not very... Very half-assed. It's just yeah. not very good. It's not an evolution. It's, it's called The Next Generation, but it's not an evolution in any way. Really. And one of the things that I noticed about the credits, you know, the first time that I ever really noticed it, is that... When the, the, the main title starts and the, and the show's title comes up, Star Trek comes up first, and it stays up by itself for a couple seconds. Then the next generation okay. comes in later. I don't know if they change that later. I feel like they do, but I'm not sure because I've never noticed it before. So I, I just want to kind of like keep an eye on well, that as well. Well, it may be difficult to do that because if we're watching this, I mean, I'm watching this on Netflix and they... Uh, they, a lot of times, you know, even on a DVD release, they'll make the title screen consistent, you know, through the whole show. So, like, so, there's some shows where, like, the first season has a different uh, title card, but they'll use that anyway. I don't know. If they're they definitely not doing this for, not, for this because okay. Trekkies would complain. Um, and okay. also, they're different. Like, the first couple seasons are different, and these are the different ones. Okay. No, um, there's, like, a different thing, and, like, the camera angle is different and stuff. 
Um, yeah. And, you know, the other thing I want to mention too, and, and maybe we can close this one out because I, I think this is, you know, we'll just keep talking about it getting angrier and angrier and that's not fun to listen to. Uh, or maybe it is. I don't know. Um, is that a lot of these episodes don't have any B plots. And oh, yeah. that's also very interesting because that is something that the original series did. But when the episodes that have had B plots had, like, there was the one where the ambassador eats the other ambassador. That was a B plot. That was a B plot. That was the worst. Oh, God. That was so, that still creeps me the hell out. Like, and, that was, that, yeah. Uh, and one of the weird things about it is that the next generation really becomes famous for having A and B plots. Okay. And so it's weird to me that the show doesn't have them right yeah. now. And it, it, it really does make the show feel like if you're in a bad episode of the, of the first season of, of the next generation, you're really just like in a bad episode. It's like watching the empath or something. I was going to say, it's almost, there are parts that do feel kind of third season. Yeah. You're just feeling like forced to watch this thing that is not very good and it's boring. And yes, the episodes are five minutes shorter than the original series, but still like, wow, this is just not great. I, I think the only reason that I am continuing with this is because I am doing this podcast with you like if i were, yeah i feel like this is one of those series where there needs to be an episode midway like through like season two or three where it's like okay start with this episode you know in first season maybe watch um you know where no man has gone before because it has that cool scene with his mother or you know this scene will be in, like but for the most part like if you're gonna watch next generation like Nobody is going to be missing out because they did not see the battle. You know, nobody is yeah. going to be missing out because they didn't, you know, so... I mean, I think it does It does set up something, right? Like, it does set up the idea that Picard was a captain before the Enterprise and that his ship was the Stargazer and he has this history, right? Like, yeah, but who cares? That, that comes back again later. Yeah, um, and... But at the same time, the show does a good enough job keeping us up to speed given that yeah as given, we see in hiding Q, which we'll talk about in a minute that you don't really need to see this episode it doesn't provide a lot of interesting context it's not like there's and this is also not a serialized show it's not really an arc based show and so really i'm so surprised <laughs> <laughs> that a that a science fiction well, syndicated you, science fiction uh, show in 1987 was yeah, not yeah. serialized. Well, I, I guess what I mean is that if that bit of of Picard's backstory is going to come into play in a later episode, it's going to be mentioned very quickly yeah. as a th- because the assumption will not be that this is not Breaking Bad. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You can mention something in a first episode. At, you know, Mad Men. There's stuff that is mentioned very quickly and that informs later conversations, but. And is never talks about again, but you're supposed to remember that. This, again, if the fact that Picard has had ships before, if the fact that Picard lost a ship, if the fact that, you know, any of that is important, it'll be mentioned, I assume. Yeah, true. Or, you know, very can quickly, again, one can assume based on the fact that he is the captain of the flagship of the coolest starship in, and the fact that they're making a television series about him, <laughs> frankly, um... I can assume that he had a very long and interesting career up to this point. You don't just... But I don't think they're doing a good job justifying why they're making a television series about this ship and this crew yet. Yeah, that's and that's that's a very excellent point. Yeah, there's... It almost seemed like they just flipped a, you know, flipped a coin or, you know, they had, a, you know, a dozen ships all applied, you know, Roddenberry, and he looked at all of them and said, well, you know, 
you win the competition. Why this one? You know, right. this was the most interesting and diverse and telegenic crew out there. You know, that that that's a fair, very fair point. Yeah, yeah. One last thing I want to mention, then we'll move on to our next episode. Adults. Adults. What I, is up with Wesley? Seriously. Oh, we, we, he is I, so insufferable. I, I just, I, I don't know, I, man. I, like, he just, like, saves the day <laughs> in this episode kind of, like, half-assedly just off the, you know, just like, on the back of his hand, like, well, yeah, whatever, I noticed this thing, and it was kind of cool, whatever. And then they run off, and he goes... Adult, and then just like Adult. leans back on the wall, and, like and I James love his... Dean, and he's got like a look on his face, and he's like, "Yeah, I'm such a badass." He's got a new shirt, and it's even worse than the sweater. I don't know how he managed that one, and I realize that he's a 13 year old boy, and that you know, I think he's supposed to be 15 actually, but okay. I and I mean, like I was, but did you notice the colors were red, gold, and and blue? Aww. So they were matching the uniforms. I. I you know, did like his. So apparently, he has all three colors. He has all three. Uh, so he's in charge of the ship now. I just don't know why you know Doctor Crusher is not like. Say, I, is he just? He's not like one of those rebellious fifteen. Like, I look, think- I I think that 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 Doctor Crusher should have t- taken this opportunity to be um, in Starfleet and on deep space missions uh, to to possibly um, send her son to live on Earth with his grandparents. That's all I'm saying. You know, uh, I, I, because if I had a son who was like Wesley, I probably would have done that. Um, that that is all I'm saying. I would have been a bad father because uh, he is an awful, awful person. Yes, that's it. You would, you, yeah. What would you give this one, Richard? Uh, <laughs> I would give this two Ferengetis. All right. Uh, yeah, it's it's like a two, two and a half, yeah. two and a half, two and a half. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to our next episode. Hide and Q. So I have to say, I really remember disliking this episode a great deal, and there are parts of it that I dislike, but on the whole, I think that this is a pretty good episode, at least by first season standards. Well, Wesley dies. Wesley does die. And like, any time that check... uh, Worf, I don't care. Like, Worf, I literally... There, you know, he's on screen, and there's like in my brain like a scene missing, and then like he's <laughs> stopped talking. Like I well, could not tell you a single thing that Worf poured out like the Tranya. That's the only thing I have noticed Worf do in this entire series. At this point, I love that you made a Tranya reference. I am thinking of better days. We did have reverse Baylock in this episode. Worf doesn't really have a personality yet. And doesn't do anything except act like a Klingon, which is fine. Where? Sorry, again, I know I've asked this. Where are we in movie chronology? Uh, this would have been after the voyage home. Okay, so Klingons are somewhere in be so Klingon. The most recent Klingons we've seen before Worf were Christopher Lloyd. Then, yeah, I guess so. Okay. Well, the the Klingon ambassador in the voyage home, but yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, you're right. He's so much more of a. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's right. The, oh, God. The, the, yeah. So I think bringing back Q this early in this series run is interesting because I yeah. think it's, it's, it's a couple things. Number one, it's a strong episode because John Delancey is just fun to oh. watch. Yeah. And I think part of the reason why they brought him back, I mean, I don't know because I didn't do any background reading, but John Delancey and, and Patrick Stewart like, oh. play off each other really well. And I, I'm hoping that someone realized that and encountered for a point. It was yeah. like, okay, we're going to bring this guy back because this makes. I think this makes Jean-Luc Picard feel so much more like a real person. 
Well, the scene he just gets yeah. so frustrated with Q <laughs> that it's great. And later on, it becomes more comedic. In this episode, it's still very serious, but. I, I like that, and I like the show. Like this is really the first time the show really feels alive. Like these are real people. Like the show is popping. You know, it's got its That's problems, true. but it it really does feel like they're these people are enjoying their work and they're having fun with it. And this is something that I want to watch that feels dynamic. The characters actually do have more of a personality, and you know, I'm when you say you know John Delancey and Patrick Stewart, like I'm thinking of the scene where they're in. Picard's office and they're quoting Shakespeare at each other like yeah that, you know that's that's I I like the show when it gives hammy actors opportunities to ham it up because it's almost always amazing yeah like you know well who are I mean who are you calling hammy though well I, I guess hammy in the I mean it in a very complimentary sense like they are you know again that's Q is acting. At eleven, the entire episode, he is very. He's a very yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think you want to use the word hammy. That's nothing that an actor is ever going to take complimentary. <laughs> um, a very dynamic, very over the top, very powerful, very charismatic, very you know, they, they're they're not acting quietly. They're not uh, even when they're being subtle. There is a very ma- massive intensity. To yeah, them, and you I know? yeah, and I think you know because I think this episode is 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 not as good as maybe I'm I'm making it out to be because it does have some serious oh, problems. Yeah. But I think it, it in in context with what we've seen so far, it's it's probably one of the better ones. And it's just you know yeah, it's because John Delancey just really has fun with this character. He's bringing Q to life. He's introducing one of the things I think that he's doing is introducing, um, you know, some tension and some drama and some conflict between the characters, which is interesting because that was something that Roddenberry definitely did not want in the show. And I think the other thing too, is that he brings out stronger emotions and stronger motivations from the characters. Because I think if one of the problems of the early seasons of the next gen, especially are that the characters are just so muted. Yeah. I think it's fascinating that he and Riker kind of like each other and you know, like, like you, you like each other in the sense that he is Q is impressed by Riker, the fact that he has done this, maybe as, you know, a little kid who did something particularly impressive as and he sees that someday this guy's gonna grow up to be you know but he is still impressed by some of the decisions he's made. And Riker, number one, does accept the flattery that Q gives him, does enjoy the fact that he gets an, a massive challenge. I mean, he is essentially going up against God in some ways. Um, he, I think, likes to feel smarter than Q, likes to outsmart him, gets an opportunity where he can outsmart somebody in a way that is not going over his bands like if he's outsmarting Picard left and right that's that's kind of insubordinate and that's something that I don't think Riker does right and this gives him that opportunity to be the best while Riker is very ambitious and Riker is very smart but Riker also respects uh the chain of command and he respects Picard I think I think yeah because in this case he's given a it's not it's not coincidental that Q is dressed as a Starfleet admiral when he gives 
a, a Riker essentially a promotion. He's yeah. you know giving him kind of permission to go above everybody, and it is ultimately his humanity which keeps him back. But yeah, and I think you know this is really a Riker episode in a yeah. lot of ways, and you know it's it's interesting because I don't think that Riker has a lot of like alone time, and he's not really you know the show the show very much later on you know, and I'm trying to like mitigate how much I talk about the show later on, but it does very much become more of like a character based drama yeah. than than it is now, and. You know, one of the interesting things is that most episodes have like one or two like main characters that they focus on, yeah. um, which is not something that the show does now very much. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe Justice, I guess, you know, that was sort of a Wesley episode in a way. But in, in, in this episode, we're getting, you know, because what do yeah. we know about Riker so far? He's, um, I think in, in, in Encounter at Far Point, he's very quick to study He's very ambitious. Yeah, he's he's, he's thirsty. He's, he's thirsty. Very, yeah, <laughs> he's smart. He's quick. He's a little bit funny. He wants to be in the captain's chair in ten years. You know, he knows that's think, where he wants to go. He's and I yeah, different than Spock, who knew that he was second and was happy right he was in second. You know. Riker is being second because that's where he is at this point in his life. He this is, is not where he wants to end yeah, up. I don't think he resents being number number one at this point. I don't think he's obsessed. No. Certainly not. Again, he recognizes where he is, He know, but he knows he has a little more to learn, and he knows he's going to learn it. Right. I think Riker knows that he's in a great position to get mm-hmm. where he wants to be. Yeah. You know, being being the the first officer on the flagship of Starfleet oh, yeah. is, is a great opportunity, and he takes it, right? He does well here. He distinguishes himself here. He's getting the next captaincy. You know, like that, that's, that's his goal I think. Uh, yeah absolutely and you know like we've said before i think Riker is perhaps the the, the closest to a kirk analog that we have in this show yeah. um and you know what i like about this episode too is that it it does give each of our characters a little moment which i find interesting like picard gets his moments to act flustered and and and, and pissed off at q and that's great and that's always fun to watch uh, you know, Jordy gets some moments, Data gets some moments, even even uh, Yar, you know, who, yeah. who definitely has been a problematic character who basically has like, you know, two modes, like either she's crying or she's like <laughs> shouty and, you know, whatever. But in this episode, it's nice because and also I think it's interesting that uh, Picard for the first we time talk about that scene. But yeah, Picard is showing some compassion and some sort of like. Uh, 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 a little bit of 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 uh, he's he's being nice to her, well, and that's what I like. We haven't seen that from Picard yet, and this I think this episode realizes that we need to see that from Picard yeah. at least a little bit. He can't be the Gallic hard ass, and I think that they're starting to realize that. It's you know, so that scene was very when he she's in the penalty zone, a penalty box, or whatever, and. She's back on the ship, and the scene that they're talking when they're talking to each other, and that's a very interesting scene because he's almost acting very fatherly to her. That scene when he's you know yeah. giving her a hug, he's like you know look here's a new rule you know you can cry if you're in the penalty box you know and that cheers her up you know that's the exact thing to say like he's acting almost like a father comforting his daughter, which for captain to talk to a subordinate is not necessarily an inappropriate no I don't think so in this way. But then she has that line like, oh, if only you weren't the captain and, you know. Yeah, that was a misfire. Then Q comes up and he's making fun of her for saying that. Like, I thought that was, you know, I'm thinking, of, let's talk about an old episode. Uh, 
the one where uh, Plato's stepchildren, when you have uh, Yahura and Kirk, and, you know, they're mind-controlling them, and they have that conversation, and she says to Kirk, like, I'm scared a lot of the time, but, you know, I see you, and you're always so strong, and, you know, that, that inspires me to, you know, that was a better... That was an in, that was an interaction between the two where, you know, again she was getting inspired by her captain, and but in a and in a and way which had, in the middle of a kiss was not necessarily a sexual relationship. And between and them. we had also had you know a, two and a half seasons, yeah, to, to build on that. And of course, you know, Uhura was a problematic character in the in, in the original series yeah. in a lot of ways, but she definitely. Um, you know, that show was very much in the old style of you had your, your lead, your second yeah. banana, your third guy, and then you had your, your incidental characters yes. who may be there and may not be there. But, um, I, I agree with you. And I think, you know, if, if, if this had been an episode that happened or if that scene had happened later on in the show's run and perhaps, you know, Yar and, and Picard were, were having a moment at that point, yeah. it would have felt more appropriate. It comes a little too early in the mm. show's run, I yeah, think. Yeah, I can't tell whether they... I mean, we've also seen, you know, Dr. Crusher and Picard have almost had, uh, you know, whatever their thing is. They Either way, they are very close with each other. You know, they had had a history. You know, that kind of makes some more sense, you know, if, if, it, if yeah. Dr. Crusher would have that moment and she was saying, you know, if you weren't the captain, then yes. They have a history. Their professionalism prevents the two of them from actually dating, which they might have done in a civilian life. But, you know, we haven't seen that kind of tension between Yar and Picard. I can't really remember too many interactions that they've had that weren't, you know, duty-related. Well, I think, you know, I think the other problem with, and I think you hit the nail on the head yeah. there by your saying that they're just kind of, you know, they, they work together basically. Yeah. And I think, you know, that can work, but. And this could be a moment when it's one of the first times where he starts, you know, they start to relate to each other as people. And that, you know, again, would have been fine. Yeah. But, but this conversation is making me realize that, you know, in these early episodes, the episodes that we've seen so far, and I think this is the 10th episode we've, we've covered, um, that we haven't really seen the crew come together to solve a problem. We kind of saw it in Encounter at Farpoint a little bit. Naked Now, not really. Justice, not really. The Battle, certainly not. Um, other episodes where no one has gone before, not really. You know, I'm forget. Yeah. I'm forgetting other ones, but it, 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 we don't. We, that we don't get a sense that this is a crew that really works well together yet, and so it doesn't seem likely that. Yar would would have these sort of like yeah. you know daughterly feelings towards Picard or, or whatever feeling she's having, right? Yeah, I think we're in, and this is making me realize that they still think that Tasha Yar, in some ways, is you know two people. She's this you know hyper competent, tough, you know, very you know good at fighting, good at tactics, good at you know. We assume she's a good security chief. Um, and what we've seen, you know, but really that's her way of masking her vulnerability. She thinks every day about the fact that she was in the rape gangs and the fact that, you know, when she gets the naked now disease, all she wants to do is go shopping and wear pretty dresses and, you know. And in a way, you know, just as we talked a lot about gender politics and in, in, when we covered the original series with the, the 1960s, mm-hmm. I think. This is sort of a very 1980s view of a powerful woman, right? Well, like, you have the, the, the you have 
business women in shoulder pads. Well, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like you have, you know, that was the idea, right? That, that in the 1980s, you know, you could have women in positions of power, but they basically had to act like men. And then what you get is, is sort of this two sided idea where women can be very powerful, but they have to mask their, their womanly emotions and they can't cry and whatever, like they want to, you know, like women are crying all the time, want to go shopping and stuff. I mean, whatever that's sexist in, in and of itself. But the idea being that, you know, they, they have these like two sides and they really have to mask their emotions because no one's going to take them seriously if they don't act like men all the time. I and I think also, that's I think yeah. that's kind of what you're seeing with Tasha Yar. And I would also go a little further to say this was an era when having it all was a thing, you know, even, you know, very much so. And for a woman yeah. to have it all, she would have the career, you know, certainly. And it was expected that, you know, a woman at this point would begin to, you know, have something outside the home but would also have the home. And if you don't have both things, you know, if you don't have the career, well, then you're just this, you know, silly housewife who doesn't have her own personality. But if you just have the career, you're not fully a woman. And I think they have, Tasha Yar is dealing with that where she is very, you know, again, security chief of the enterprise. You're doing really well for yourself. Um, It's almost, but she doesn't have the, she can't be a woman. This is going to be weird. And I don't know if this is going to work, but it's almost kind of like the Mary Tyler Moore show in a way, like where it, I mean, it's 10 years earlier, of course. And it's, it's, it's very much sort of a post sixties, post feminism yeah. thing, like the first, you know, second wave feminism or whatever. But, you know, in that, you know, I don't know how much of the Mary Tyler Moore show you've I'm ever seen. familiar with it. Yeah. But yeah. Like, you know, it, the thing was with her, it was like, she was kind of wacky and she kind of was like at work all the time and she was working and she didn't really have much of a home life and she's yeah. sure she dated and stuff, but like she didn't have, she wasn't married. She didn't have kids, you know? And so like, I don't think within the show she gets married and she, you know, has Sonic and Offna again, I believe recurring boyfriends. But... Right. And so the sort of the implication there is that like, this is how it happens. Like either you can be a powerful woman and have a career and of course, it's a sitcom, so it's a little different. Yeah. But or, or you can have a home life, and I think you know this is kind of the show going uh, 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 a little bit. You know, the, the next generation is kind of feeding in from that a little bit, and it's yeah. even maybe not quite as you know having it all. It's 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 looking at it from sort of that nine you know nineteen seventies point of view of what feminism was in a way. Yeah, that's fair. Um, it is really interesting to see these different. But again, I don't think that they. It feels like they haven't thought her character enough to even have that much to say about her. Like, I I feel that her character has not been well thought out. And also keep in mind, this is us with the perspective of, you know... 25 years later um and i and i know that you know a lot of the a lot of the characters in the show so far don't feel like super thought out right and that's a thing too yeah but i like this you know hiding q is great though because i think it does provide some context for the characters and it does you know i think this show goes off you know this episode goes a long way towards humanizing them it goes a long way towards Mm -hmm. making them likable which has been a problem so far because a lot of them seem really smarmy um and and full of themselves as we saw last episode and, and in other episodes you know and and what's interesting is that you know the show i think hits on q as something that works and he says okay uh, we can work with this he's gonna be the driving force of the yeah. episode but he's going to be the driving force of the episode in a different way than other things he's going to allow our characters to react to him and to sort of like allow their own humanity to come through and they get to defeat him through not accepting what he's giving them in a way. They, this show 
gives a... In Encounter at Farpoint, Q appears because they're about to go further than anybody has gone before. And he he represents a threshold. Mm -hmm. And um, Encounter at Farpoint was was humanity symbolically saying, we're ready to get to the next... We're ready to start the next generation, frankly. You know, we're ready to go to part two. Right. And um, we're told in this episode that the actions after Encounter at Farpoint... Have let the Q continuum to decide, you know, yes, they were ready. This was, they passed the test. Good job. And that's interesting in and of itself as well, because I don't think that was established in Encountered Farpoint that it was a continuum and that, like, there was more than one of them. And that, you know, I thought that with the people in the trial and the court were, I don't know whether they were considered to be illusions or if they were. I think that they were just supposed to know. be illusions. Yeah. Um, I don't think they were supposed to be members of the Q continuum. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure there's fan fiction out there about it, but I've never read it. (laughs) I I bet every single one of those has a name and a novel written about them. Um, and what, you know, and I think that's an interesting point though, because I think it sort of sets it up as, yeah, the Q continuum is, is something right. And this is going to make the show a little different than the original series, because of course we had a lot of God beings in the original series never came back. Right. Yeah. Q comes back. So we already have this recurring, Antagonist. I don't want to call him a villain because I, mean, I don't I, think Q's yeah. really a villain. I get the sense that this Q continuum is almost like the the God Beings clubhouse. Like, the yeah, one that's from, kind of, yeah. You know, the guy from uh, 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 Trelane. No, well, Trelane's in it. Um, Star Trek Five, which was that called? Um, the Final Frontier. Yeah, the, you know, the one from Final Frontier. You can just say Star Trek Five. People okay. understand what you mean. Okay. Um, Star Trek Five, like he's he's hanging out in the clubhouse. Like I'm picturing the Black Lodge from Twin Peaks. But, yeah, uh, yeah. It, uh, and it's and it sets it up in an interesting way, I think, because you know, Encounter at Farpoint, like you said, was very much like, yes, we're going out and we're yeah. doing this, and we're ready to go. Here's... He, they prove it, and I think it. You know, you always say, what does the show look like with continuity? Well, this show has continuity. Yeah. You know, like they they bring you know Picard summarizes Encounter at Farpoint for people that haven't seen it, which is great. You yeah. Know, television did that a lot in the 1980s. Um, but then it says, Hey, you know, like we did this and like, we impressed you. So now you're coming back and saying, yeah, we, you impressed us. We want to give you this thing. And what it really is and what to, to everyone's credit, I think, and to Riker's credit at the end of the episode, they all kind of get it that Riker and, and, uh, all the rest of them, um, are, better than the Q in some ways and the Q realize that and and this is not really about giving giving a gift to humanity it's about kind of putting chains on them in a way and saying yes you can have all of this power with humanity but, as the most junior member of the Q continuum they're not going right. to get that much done yeah they're going to have to probably start following a bunch of rules yeah um, and there's an implication there too that you know at the very end of the episode that, that Q gets in trouble yeah. right because he kind of like disappears and it doesn't seem very good for him maybe he was making all this up, right? Like maybe he was just fucking with them again. Like we don't know. Like maybe the Q continuum had nothing to do with this and this was just Q being bored and doing something. I get the sense that it may have been that they, you know, the Q continuum wants humanity to be in check and, you know, they send Q to do it. You know, it. either way, um, the characters very much say that humanity is ready to get through this threshold, but they're not ready to go through a, the next one. 
and and that and that what what's interesting about that is yes they're not ready but that they recognize that they're not ready yeah they it needs that's a sign of maturity as well it needs to be earned i mean you have um wesley so well do we want to talk about the gift scene because that's yeah we can okay so um, i guess we have to i'm really upset that somebody told q that wesley was a main character yeah i wesley was like not there and then suddenly he was there they shipped troy off this episode and she just went wherever she went she wasn't there and that was fine her denim outfit was not there and that was all good she had to get it laundered yeah and then like wesley's not there and then suddenly like 25 minutes in he's he's there and i'm like oh god wesley why are you in this episode (laughs) but it pays off because in the gift scene he gets to be a, a a strange looking man yeah uh, with with his original voice. with his dubbed in voice he's a, re- he's a reverse baylock like pretty much <laughs> yeah and poor guy because if i was 13 and suddenly had a man's body i would be immediately in my room masturbating you know and trying it out and he doesn't get to do that okay all yeah. right that might have something to do with you as opposed to all men but we'll just leave that aside oh I was gonna, yeah i guess so uh well, uh, you know, um, and Jordy likes him. Yeah, I was about to say, Jordy, what, yeah. what's what's going on with Jordy in these episodes? That moves apparently because number one is like, like, hey Wesley, looking good, and then Tosh Yar, and it's like you're as beautiful as I imagined you to be, and it's like, but what, like, what's going on here? Because like in the Naked Now, Jordy was like hanging out with Wesley and like creeping on him, and that's, then, like I got, I, and yeah. then in this episode, he's like explicitly like, hey, not bad, which. What is going on with him? Um, like, is that supposed to be a thing that Jordy is some sort of like gay pedophile? Like, no, I don't. He's a bisexual pedophile. I don't get this. Jordy is just very giving as a person. This is just and like he likes giving orgasms. Did he have his eyes then? Because because Riker gives him eyes, right? So when he yeah. says "looking good," he yes. he had his eyes, right? Yeah. Okay. Wait, no, 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 no. Wesley's the very first one. So wait, so 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 he does Wesley. He does. Uh, he t- Can we stop saying he does Wesley? <laughs> uh, uh, no, make, well, here's, okay. here's here's the thing though, right? Like when when right. Okay, so he doesn't have his eyes at that point. So he's still got his visor, and he looks yeah. at Wesley. He's like, looking good, Wesley. Yeah, I want to fuck and, you. And I think partially um, by the fact that we know what Will Wheaton looks like these days, you know, like I think that's probably part of the funny of it. What, what Will Wheaton's a fine looking man, and I'm sure his wife loves having sex with him. And I don't have anything against Will Wheaton, but um, he doesn't look like what adult Wesley looked yeah. like in this episode, <laughs> um, and that's fine. You know, that happens. Uh, that but, fl- but, shirt doesn't flatter adult Wesley. No, either. it doesn't, and they had to make two of those to fit the, the, oh, the, the guest man. star who had no lines. Um, but the, you know, and then and then so 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 he's looking at Wesley with his visor, and he's like, "Yeah, you're looking good." Like so he can recognize handsomeness or whatever. Um, and then the implication is like, once he gets his eyes, he looks at Tasha Yar and says, "Hey, you're as beautiful as I had imagined." So so what exactly is going on here? So he can see physical beauty. With his visor, but then he can't. Well, I, because I, why, I, I why, assumed like, it was a. Uh, uh, I know uh, we're thinking about this way too much because I, I mean, I, I guess but, I would assume it would be something like seeing a photograph versus seeing someone in person. Like you know, essentially. Well, they show us later what George, it looks like for the visor, and it it it's really just a bunch of like colors. Okay. Like it's not like he's looking at. Like it's not like. It's not like a, a a black and white fuzzy photo of what's going on. It's just like a bunch of colors and shit. Yeah, see, like I would get, I got the sense that it was. Stuff- he basically sees like energy patterns or whatever. I figured it would be like you know instead of stuff going through the retina and the op- like 
images were directly beamed into his brain. Okay, well, my in, in image is a lot more clearer than his is. All right. Yeah. Um, he doesn't really see anything. He's okay. kind of like interpret. It's kind of like, um, I guess in a way, it's sort of like some sort of weird like sonar or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where like it's it's so different from what our conception of, of, of what it is to see. So it's not Terminator vision. Maybe. No, no, it's nothing like that. See, that's I've been picturing him like a Terminator this entire time. And maybe this is a problem with the show that it doesn't necessarily... Yeah, and I don't think that. that the show necessarily knows that yet. Yeah. Um... um but I think that it's an interesting scene because the characters retaining their humanity in a way or refusing to take the easy, the quick path, the even Worf refusing the the the, the Klingon sex doll, um, which is fine. And then you know, Jordy has that great line where he's like, This is what sex is to you, yeah. Worf. And it's like, what is it to you, Jordy? Like are Well, you- it's obviously it is Wesley down on with that rainbow shirt off and uh Ew. Going to town on Jordy, and then maybe Jordy is is going to town on Worf. And then okay, now I know there are fan fiction novels written. And then about maybe this. Yard has her pussy in someone's face. I don't know. Should we be talking about this? This I, feels weird. Yes, uh, I, I I really don't think we should. But you know, what is Picard doing? He's just sitting. Picard in the is cor- not doing anything. See, He's that's sitting a- in the corner, furiously masturbating. That Picard does not have a penis. What I like about. Picard in this in this scene especially is that he knows exactly what Riker is going to do and he knows exactly what his crew is going to do and he just allows it to happen because he knows that at the end of the episode everything is going to be fine because <laughs> he know well I, I you know but I but he knows that because he knows this crew at oh, this yeah. point and I think this episode goes a long way towards you know cohesing these people into some sort of crew that know each other you know the naked now didn't really work came too early in the show's run had a lot of problems you know it was very much just a a poor imitation of the naked time from the original series i think this is much more of an episode where it reveals what these people want who these people are especially Riker, and you know especially picard i think those two characters come across very well in this episode and we learn a lot about them i mean even yeah. even picard's little thing where he's like well have you noticed apparently we're on a first name basis now will you know like i thought that was really yeah. interesting um and it it really does and then at the same time it gels together with a lot of the big ideas of the show which is that they're ready to go out further and that they're ready to you know take the next step for humanity it, you know, it's 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 not a great episode, but it's it's probably one of the better ones so far. Well, again, I would say the characters realize that they have not earned their thing. You know, Data, especially, you know, when he's, you know, Riker's like, oh, I know what you want. And Data says, yeah, you know I want to be human. But I think it's less that Data doesn't want to be human and it's more that he wants to become human. He wants to earn humanity. He wants to yeah. learn to be human and all of that. And he, you know, and all the, you know, Jordy wants to be able to see. He wants eyesight. He wants to be normal. But at the same time, he recognizes that that it's itself an illusion. You know, I think all of the characters are realizing that there is something higher than their own wants. I mean, Worf, the fact that, you know, what they create for Worf is you know, a woman means that he's very lonely, probably, but he his duty is more important than him. Serving the captain is more important than his own. Yeah, and I think the thing with Worf is, is weird because they didn't really have a good handle on what exactly the role of the Klingons was, yeah. and 
And I, I do get this. Yeah. I kind of feel like it may have been a mistake to put Worf in the show. Like maybe they would have done that later on when they had a better idea of what exactly the role of Klingons were in, in, in this, you know, in this era. It would have been very but, interesting to have an introductory episode where we're getting our first, you know, Starfleet's first Klingon member and, you know, we're going to be end. Like, that kind of a thing. Yeah, because in a way, like, Encounter at Farpoint was very much an introductory episode. Like, these characters were all meeting each other for the first time, yeah. and we didn't get that in the original series. So I think and it, Worf was already on the ship at that point. He's, yeah, and I think, you know, I think what you're seeing with Worf is just the fact that he is not a main character. Like, yeah. he's just there for, like, 12 or 14 episodes. He's a recurring character, and... So he doesn't get a lot of the same thought and a lot of the same screen time as the main characters, yeah. which, you know, he obviously does later. Um, but right now he doesn't seem like a very dynamic individual. So again, this is with the rest of the show. It's just not, it's first season issues. Yeah, I would say so. But it's definitely a decent episode. And Wesley dies. And Wesley dies. All right. What would you give this one? Four bayonets through Wesley's stomach. Oh, good. All right. I'll give it five. I okay. think it was definitely average, but it was it was pretty good. All right. Well, next week, we're talking about Haven and the big goodbye. And that is not the season finale. That was a mistake on their part. We'll see you then. <laughs>